0: If God is really there, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why is there so much pain? If God is really there, why has He been silent for so long? Why doesn't He speak and put an end to all this confusion? It's a legitimate question that many unbelievers ask and I'd like more Christians to have a solid answer to, the Bible is the only book in the world that answers the question of evil and pain. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Some years ago, a gentleman by the name of Rabbi Harold Kushner, he wrote a best-selling book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. In the book, the rabbi slammed God because of a personal loss that he suffered in his own life. In his understanding of things, he had lost a loved one prematurely and wanted an answer. His conclusion was that either God is not all-powerful or that God is not all-loving or that he simply just doesn't care. That is not the biblical position. So what is the answer? the Bible is the only book that offers an explanation for the origin of man and the origin of evil. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When God created the host of heaven, he created one angel that was known as the anointed cherub, and his name was Lucifer which means the light one. While I have personally never seen an angel, based on my understanding of Scripture, they are not Caucasian women with long-flowing blonde hair, nor are they little babies with wings. In the Old Testament, we find that one angel slew 185,000 men in the Assyrian army in one night. Angels are not little babies with wings. They're very powerful, supernatural creatures. In fact, if an angel appeared in here right now, I suspect that all of us would hit the floor, thinking we may be looking at the Lord. And of course, if he really was an angel from heaven, he'd tell us all to get up. In Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 15, we have a description of Lucifer. This is what it says. You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. Brothers and sisters, no man can see God and live. So awesome is he in power and in glory. But Lucifer actually walked in the very presence of God. It says he walked among the fiery stones and he was anointed as a guardian cherub. Apparently he had a very high position. But something happened. Something awesome happened in heaven. And it's as if God opened the curtains of time and allowed us to see just enough so we could understand what's really going on here. My proposition this morning is this. There's no way that we can understand who we are as a human race and why we are here on this planet and why there is so much evil in this world until we understand it in light of the cosmic struggle that has been going on for untold thousands of years between the forces of darkness and the Prince of Peace. The story picks up again in Isaiah 14. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, sun of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Apparently, Lucifer... Remember in Ezekiel 28, it says he had the seal of perfection and he was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Perfect in beauty. God made a creature that he himself called perfect in beauty. He must have been incredible to look at. And apparently he became so consumed with himself that he wasn't content any longer being being the anointed cherub, charged as a guardian angel. He became consumed with his own self-worth to the point that he was no longer content and he wanted more. So he said he would ascend above the heights of the clouds and make himself like God. My understanding of that is he wanted to be worshipped. That is when Lucifer's name was changed from Lucifer, which means the light one, to Satan, which means the adversary or the accuser. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Now, apparently, Satan convinced a third of the angels to follow him in this rebellion based on Revelation twelve four. So here we have a third of the angels... In rebellion against God the question I'd like to focus on right now is what is God gonna do about it was God surprised by this did he have to have a high-level cabinet meeting to decide how they're gonna handle this rebellion look at his options he could have vaporized them instantaneously without even a word But had he done that, what would that have left the two-thirds of the host of heaven with? An element of fear. What would have been wrong with that approach? Had God wiped them all out, the worship would then have been tainted. The Bible says that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 1 John 4.18 says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. God cannot make someone love him because as soon as he does that, he violates your free will, which makes true love impossible. Love is only love when it's a choice. If my wife was a robot and walked around the house following me all day saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I'd turn her off, because that would get old quick. My wife loves me amazingly because she chooses to, and I choose to love my wife. That's the only way love can be love, as if there's an opportunity to do otherwise. So God says, in effect, I will triumph, not with a demonstration of raw power, but with a demonstration of perfect love. Love never fails. That's where you and I come in. You and I, God decided, you know, the Bible says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. We were not an afterthought to, to deal with this rebellion. God knew all this would happen before it ever happened. And that's when Jesus stepped up to the plate and said, I'll take the punishment. So you and I have become exhibit A to all the host of heaven that God is going to win this question of his sovereignty with love. A close look at what happened in the Garden of Eden is most revealing. God creates a small planet, and on it he puts Adam, and he puts Eve. They're in a perfect environment. Nothing has been forbidden them up to this point. So Adam and Eve are without sin. They weren't born, they were created. And at that point, they were sinless. But their innocence is the product of circumstance, not of character. Up to this point, there were no prohibitions. It's only in the presence of what is forbidden that man can be morally tested. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. Now, man is put in the position in which good is not the only thing that he can do. Childlike innocence is no longer possible because the presentation of a choice to obey or disobey is now presented to man. This awoke in man the supreme faculty of discernment known as the conscience. So, how does God win? How is He going to prove His perfect love? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Didn't God know this would happen? Revelation 13, 8. The Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God was not taken by surprise by any of this. The fact of the matter is God is going to let sin run its course. He's gonna, let every, he's gonna let everybody try everything they wanna try to rebel against God or to find peace apart from God. And this world is going to almost destroy itself. And when it's almost over, the Bible says that God will not destroy the world again by water, the next time it'll be by fire. And I believe just before that happens, Jesus Christ is going to stand up off the throne wearing the uniform of a glorious captain and say that's enough. It's over. And all the host of heaven will have seen this unbelievably grand experiment in which everybody could do everything they wanted to do apart from God's will. And Jesus Christ is going to come back into this earth and he's going to stop it. And when it's all said and done, when everybody's had every opportunity they want to rebel against God, there will never be another rebellion in heaven again. Because God will have demonstrated once and for all that His way is best. In fact, when we're in heaven, there will never even be a reservation in our hearts should we or should we not give Him everything we've got willfully. We will love God without a reservation in heaven. Do you know why there's so much evil in this world? Because God is love. That's the answer. Not sure? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11 says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which has for ages been hidden in God, who created all things, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Peter 1.12 tells us the plan of redemption is something that things into which angels long to look. That word long to look means literally to stoop down and look. 1 Corinthians 11.10 For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Luke 15.10 tells us when one sinner repents, all the angels in heaven rejoice. I can imagine them. When one sinner comes to Christ, and they're all looking over the wall down at earth, and one sinner literally cries out to Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins, and all of them jump and shout. When a man or a woman gets on his knees and prays to a God he's never seen Revelation says that he keeps the prayers of the saints in bowls. We keep things that are valuable to us in bowls. You know what? Our prayers are so precious to God that from time to time he goes to the cupboard and takes out a bowl and lifts up the lid and goes, Oh, Robert is praying again. Joseph Hong is praying again. And it's a sweet-smelling aroma. To all the host of heaven that the church actually prays to a God they've never even seen what a testimony that must be for his glory what a shame it is when saints don't pray this understanding unlocks a lot of mysteries we're being tested all the time if you're still not sure Job chapter 1 Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where where do you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my boy Job? Have you seen my boy? Have you seen Job? And Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him, and his house, and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and possessions increased in the land. And put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face, Satan says to God. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, never forget, Satan always has to have permission. The devil is God's devil. He's not running around here, a free moral agent, doing whatever he wants to do. He can't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. I hear people say, oh, Satan's really trying to slow me down. My car broke down this morning. I couldn't go to church, and Satan's doing this, and Satan's doing that there's a sovereign God in heaven who allows these things to happen because we're being tested every minute and there's a lot of folks watching up there. You know the rest of the story of Job. Satan had permission to kill all of his children they took all of his animals, his livestock, he lost everything that he had except his life and his wife. Job tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground And worshiped, it says. (laughs) Wow! Job fell to the ground and worshiped the God who gave him life in the first place. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin nor blame God. What a testimony! All the angels were watching this, wondering what would happen to this Job who'd never seen this God. Chapter 2, again the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my boy? Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth blameless and upright, fearing God, turning away from evil, and he still holds fast his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without a cause. However, put forth thy hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, Satan said, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your power. Only spare his life. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was still sitting among the ashes. His wife said, Do you still hold fast your integrity, curse God, and die? But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips." When it was all said and done, God restored unto Job twice as much as he had before, and the story ends in chapter 42, verses 5 and 6. Job says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee, therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Job had heard of God before, but now Job had experienced God's power, and Job In in, in his spiritual life, Job went into hyperspace. Job was unshakable at this point in his life. And all the angels in heaven rejoiced. They're learning a lot from us. Until I understood this this thing about the cosmic struggle between the prince of peace and the forces of darkness, I could never get a handle on the story of Abraham. Abraham who was that for? Didn't God know that Abraham would pass the test? The story of Abraham slaying his son, or willing to slay his son, surely wasn't for God's welfare. Couldn't have been for Abraham. Abraham didn't even hesitate. When God told him to sacrifice his son, the very next day, he set out to do it. Couldn't have been for Isaac because Isaac showed no resistance in the text at all. Isaac willingly laid down, and he was a young man at that point. That story. Yeah, it's for us. We, I learn a lot from that. I see a man who is willing to give up everything for God, but you know what? The angels in heaven had to be on the edges of their seats when that was going on because Abraham raised the knife to slay his son and they had to be going they had to be gasping. And for all practical purposes, Isaac was dead. Because Abraham was going to kill him. And y'all know the story just before the knife was raised and he was about to plunge it into his son and God said <clears throat> Uh, Abraham, that won't be necessary. Who is that for? I believe it was as much for the angels as it was for us. They learned a great lesson that day. And Abraham had never actually seen God in all of his glory. That's how far a man will go for this God that he knows by faith. Why has God been silent for so long? Why doesn't he say something? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he put an end to all this confusion? I used this illustration at the jail the other night. I said, if you just got out of prison, you had two quarters in your pocket, you're driving in an automobile on Friday night, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and you pull up to an unmanned toll booth, and it's 40 cents. It's not much of a test of your character if you look in the mirror as you're wondering what to do and a policeman pulls up right behind you. The test comes when nobody's around. That's the only way your character can be tested. Your religion is what you are when nobody's looking. It's easy to be spiritual and here on Sunday morning. Your religion is what you are when no one's looking. And I believe that's the reason God has been silent, at least audibly, for so long. He said it all in Jesus Christ. He said it all in all of creation. He said it all in the Bible. He said it all written on each one of our hearts. His law is written on every man's heart. He doesn't need to say anything anymore. He doesn't need to prove his case. He doesn't need to take the stand. He doesn't need to testify. He speaks loud and clear. The sun and the moon and the stars declare his glory night after night, and there's no language where their voice is not heard. Romans 8:28 is a tough verse for a lot of people. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose? All things work together for good? Well, they do. Yep. Imagine if you were to sit down, and I know there's some pretty sharp sharp guys in here and some sharp gals in here. Imagine if you were to sit down with the world champion chess player. He's probably from Russia. It wouldn't matter how you move the pieces. He'd use those moves to win. He's so much better of a player than you or I would be that he would use your moves to win the game. That is precisely what's going on in this world. It doesn't matter how you move the pieces. It doesn't matter how Satan moves the pieces. God is so much better. He's going to use those moves to win. I hope you understand why God has been silent for so long. The second thing I want you to go home with is why is there so much pain in this world? Why is there so much suffering? The answer, because God is love. That's the answer. It can't be any other way. Love is only love unless we freely choose to love Him. For love to be love, there has to be the presentation of a choice not to love. And because he's given us that choice, that's why there's so much pain in this world. Because people choose not to love. And when it's all said and done, there'll never be another rebellion in heaven again. And you and I are all going to be there. There won't ever be another war in heaven. And there won't even be a reservation. We will be able to say, not my will, but thy will be done without any reservation. Just, you know... People pray, oh, you know, not my will, but thy will be done. Just don't send me to Africa as a missionary, or, you know, don't take this from me, or... No, that'll never be again. And the last thing I wanted you to realize, as I said, is your religion is what you are when no one's looking. You may think you're getting away with something in your life, but I guarantee you there's at least one other person who knows. My hope and my prayer is that with this understanding of the cosmic struggle between the Prince of Peace and the forces of darkness, you can have a much better understanding of who we are, why we're here, and where we're going. Those tests come from the hand of God, and he wants to make us more like Jesus. The very things we would be tempted to grumble about the very things we're tempted to complain about are the very things that God wants to use in your life to transform you into the image and the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.